When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. My name is Corey O'Flanagan, and I am your host. As always, this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're listening and you're liking us, Please think about leaving us a friendly review, hitting that subscribe button so we show up every other Wednesday with some new music in your ears. Today on the show we have Stefan Macchio, who is a pianist and songwriter who has some tunes that you may have heard before. We talk about two of those today, which include A New Day Has Come by Celine Dion and then Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. When he isn't creating the beautiful melodies of some of Pop's biggest hits, Stefan also writes some of the best piano music I have heard, which he features prominently on his new album Lionheart, dropping October 15th. Our conversation gets detailed on some of songwriting's finer points, so I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So here we have Stefan Macchio. to start with was because I'm just kind of going through and reading and like I was telling you I was listening to some of this music and this morning especially I'm I'm finalizing my outline and I'm listening to this gorgeous new song and this is where you're going to get to hear my awful French accent but I was able to decipher what the song is Les Jardins de Monsieur Ah. Monet (laughs) 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 but and I she has me go into the French accent all the time because I it's brutal but it's really funny um but I'm not sure if you've seen this because I was just on the YouTube channel and I'm not sure if you've gone and looked at some of the comments but there's some pretty amazing comments out there and I just wanted to read a couple of those to you um Mm -hmm. one of them was your music always finds a way to my heart and soul at the right time and place in my life. I needed to hear this today. So beautiful. Thank you. And then there was another one that said, I understand with force that your music has the power to make reborn much more than the garden of Mr. Monet. I'm a fan. I love every second of this piece. And as I'm like going through and I'm listening to this beautiful music and this just, it's such an incredible thing. And I got to say, I don't know who did the um, kind of repeating visual. Oh, so good. Thank you. Um, I I mean, you know, there's just a lot of things to kind of jump off there from from that point. First of all, thank you for for bringing that to my attention. I, I don't go often enough to read the comments and, you know, fan engagement is everything. It really is, you know, people who, who, you know, you do this, uh, you know, but, you know, this kind of music, um, because, you know, I, 
I, I came, I came from the world of songwriting and, and pop producing. I'm a classical yeah. musician and, you know, I made a, a conscious decision a few years ago to come back and return to the piano just because I felt it was the next necessary chapter in my life. You know, I had experienced some extraordinary uh, ex- success and, you know, with some wonderful artists. And I thought yeah. the, the solo piano genre, I was, my life was rather big and complicated and I wanted to just reduce, reduce, reduce and bring it right back to the basics again and come back to the instrument I started. So when I hear comments like that, um, it really humbles me and it makes me very happy because it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's a, my music is doing what I was intended and hoped that it would do is just genuinely move people. You know, I, I never came to music to make money. It was yeah. always a byproduct of, you know, of just hard work. Um, but I, I came to music because I come from a musical family and I come from, you know, a, music, a family that supports music. And um, these albums of, and the, the amount of letters and messages that I, I receive um, on all platforms, it's, that's my favorite part of it is that p- this, my piano music has accompanied people in their darkest times, like, yeah. you know, even in th- through deaths and funerals, but uh, on the, on the more positive side, it's, accompanied so many newborn babies being born into the the birth room at the hospital in their homes home births Hmm. and 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 i love hearing those stories or just or just that my music is a a friend a much needed friend because this is instrumental music Corey, in that it's much more universal because of the the lack of language it's just it cuts right to the heart so we're not dealing with, you know, different various kinds of languages. We're dealing with uh, something that speaks to the entire world. Yes, yeah, I think that's really true. So I guess I didn't even start thinking about all the different places. And just when you've got this, a catalog like you have, and it's been going on for years and years, you're, you, you've been what recording and writing since you're almost what's in your third decade. I'm 48. Yeah. I mean, I've been recording my life for like, forever <laughs> yeah so i mean you've been a part of so many people's lives and maybe there was a song in like the late 90s that had an effect on someone and now that is a person who's got kids and they're of course it's just this generational thing that's ongoing that i don't i don't really think about on a daily basis and i'm wondering if a musician that's been doing it for this long if you kind of at this point can sit back and like reflect on that a little bit and be like wow that's amazing I, I do music, um, and I believe I believe you as well. I mean, I'd be like you, you, you're here, you're you're benevolently and passionately interviewing music makers and creatives of all sorts. Um, I, like I said earlier, I, I came to music uh, for one goal. It's just to, it's therapeutic, it's cathartic for me, yeah. and it was to help myself and in turn help other people. I mean, music just kept me out of trouble. Uh, music helped me through some really difficult times as well as, you know, as a child and um, not that I had any, any major trauma, but, you know, my, my parents separating and eventually divorcing as well at a very relatively young age. And, and I just buried myself in music and the piano became an extension. I've been playing the instruments since I was three years old, okay. you know, at, uh, you know, with, uh, with proper lessons and it has just become, so, I mean, this is essentially the 45th year that I've been playing the, the instrument, which is wild. And, you know, Incredible. I still feel very, very young, <laughs> but I, you know, it makes me feel old when I hear that number. <laughs> um, but uh, music is, it's, its primary goal is just, is to, to move people. It's art. 
And, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm just honored that I am, people allow me to enter their world. Um, I say for like an hour or 52 minutes, the length of an album. And because I was seeking albums like this, when I first started doing these kind of albums 15, 16 years ago, I was producing pop records already. I was working with, with big acts like Celine Dion at the time and Josh Groban. And, and uh, but I still felt a need to come back to the basics then <clears throat> because everyone kept on asking me, what is just a good piano album to listen to, to fall asleep to, to read to, be introspective to. And, and I said, you know what? I, I couldn't think of any offhand other yeah. than some incredible jazz pianists that I knew. I mean, and there were some obvious new age pianists, but I, I don't know if my music's new age either. It's solo contemporary piano music. And I purposely make it chill and slow. I could play fast. I can play virtuosically, but I, I, I purposely take my time with the, the space between the notes in order to calm us down because I needed it. So like go. a very uh, Miles Davis type of temperament towards the music very. is the the everything going on between the notes. I I, I, I do exactly. really like that. Okay, so the song that I mentioned, um, Les Jardins de Monsumonet. album that you have dropping here on the 15th of October, Lionheart. And so I started thinking too about your longevity doing this and the fact as after I read that you'd been playing since three years old, something I'm extremely envious of um, has, and it, it, it gets me wondering, like when you're this far into a career and you go to write up this new album, obviously the songs and everything are new, but is there anything that part of this process that looking back on it now that has helped you and improved you as a songwriter and, and a pianist, just as a musician in general. Like I, uh, yeah, I and let me explain that a little bit further. I'm sorry, because I, I look at music as this beautiful thing because I don't think you can't look at someone and say they're perfect at it. It's a never ending. Of course, it's this journey well towards said. imperfection because you can never get there. And I love that. People used to always ask me, um, well, it's a two-part question. People used to ask me, when do you think you've retired? I, you don't retire from music. It just grabs you and it takes hold of you until you leave this earth. Um, but you said something that I want to, like what makes me a better musician? You know, I'm blessed to have come from a family uh, of musicians and where it was revered and, you know, and it was encouraged. So I practiced and I got the technical facility under my fingers and that, you know, yeah. took decades and it still, still does. You know, I still sometimes, even when I was making this album, uh, I can talk about that in a second, but you know, I was, I actually practiced my pieces this time as opposed to just, you know, sit there and improvise them, which I often do. Interesting. But, but growing up as an adult, as a human, as a, as a, as a father, as a partner, as people in life, life um, you become inevitably a better artist. So, uh, you know, a musician, I may have been actually a better, when I say better musician, 15 years ago when my chops were like solid, you know, when, you know, uh, I didn't have children, I, I had time to just devote. 
eight to 10 hours of practice at my craft. Mm -hmm. But luckily I put those hours in and, you know, this muscle memory, it just doesn't go away, but you could just got to keep yourself sharp. But I certainly become a better artist by virtue of becoming, uh, trying to always become a better human and just remain vulnerable and open and um, just, you know, aware that um, I can grow all the time. Was there an intention when you set out with this album? Was there something like a, like a vision, a, a guiding, a North star, if you will, that you were kind of going towards? <clears throat> My last album that I put out last year called Tales of Solace was uh, pre-pandemic. And everybody thought I wrote it in the pandemic. I wrote it prior to it. Ironically, the timing was just a beautiful collision of the world shutting down. My life feeling too complicated. I create this sort of like very intimate album that I needed just as therapy. I was going through again another evolution in my my relationships, um, and people bought it into it because it was authentic. You know, it was a guy in this piano room. Then the pandemic happened, and everyone thought it was the slow down album of you know for instrumental piano music. And you know, two hundred fifty million streams later, it was it's such an honor to, again, see that people have reacted this really and honestly to it. This album, I actually did write during the first three or four months of the pandemic, or at least the germs of the melodies. And there's a, you know, when we were all experienced that between say March and, and June of last year, yeah, we were all wondering what the hell was going on and you know, how we were going, what was like, this was new to everybody. Nobody yeah. experienced a pandemic shutdown like this. So there was this feeling I was going to my studio in Santa Monica um, daily and we weren't even, there was a curfew in Los Angeles and I wasn't even supposed to be out there, but I would lock myself in there for 12, 15 hours. And I came up with approximately 40 hours of music. Wow. And um, a a lot of improvised stuff, but, and and I listened to that throughout the, uh, you know, three months later. And and there was for the big part of it, there was more of a sense of hope to that album, which is now called Lionheart. Yeah. Um, And I developed those themes some of them are, are purely one takes and, and there's a couple that are you know, two of them are improvisations that ended up just being the final version. But I developed these themes and you were asking about intention, like Lionheart, where I'm at in my life. I, I say that I, I no longer need people's opinions and they don't affect me like they used to before. And, and, you know, when I was looking, there was a particular piece in the album that had a very no, a noble sound to it it felt like a knight in shining armor. And I was looking mm. at, you know, famous knights, Knight Richard or Joan of Arc. And Joan of Arc, there was something uh, beside her name in one of the uh, paragraphs that said she was uh, lion-hearted. And I, I you know, kind of Google that name and it says bravery and determination. And it just felt like it summed up my life right now at 48. Yeah. And um, so what I will say, Corey, is when I wrote this lion-heart, I treated even though it's, you know, there's huge classical influence. There's a lot of pop influence in that. I treated these like mini pop songs with arrangement, with verse, pre-chorus, verse, pre-chorus, bridge, oftentimes. Okay. And there was a huge intention, a drive towards just really giving people incredible melody, especially on this album. Yeah. So. Well, from the I little think, bit you know, that I've heard, you're there. Yeah. So, so you, you hear it. So it's, uh, um, I didn't um, leave a lot of chance. And, and as I said to you, I would write the piece, arrange it. And then I would record sometimes north of 40 takes on a few of those pieces. Wow. Le Jardin de Monsieur Monet. Um, I have probably over 75 versions and takes of it. 
because I, I attempted so many tempos of that song. It was insane. <laughs> oh, that's insane. So then how do you, like, is it just like, you just got to eventually choose one? I mean, it could, you could just go on forever. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, just, it's not the piano I recorded this. I, piano, I recorded my piano downstairs, but... Um... That's faster. That's how I kind of wrote yeah. it. But when I, and the final recording was more like a. And, you know, I have the privilege of, of time. I have a, you know, state-of-the-art studio in my, in my home and, and I can listen to this stuff and really be critical about the tempos. Um, I'm really hard on myself during the process. Um, and I think that's the only way for me to get to just a pure, honest performance. So I had listened to various tempos and, and I had practiced it. And I said, I kept on asking myself, why am I doing this? I'm cr only trying to create beauty and a moment of stillness for people when they listen to my piano music. Yeah. And I had to keep on driving that, that creed, that message um, back into my music. Okay. So, so, so it affected and when I kept on, like, I kind of put signs up in my environment, in my studio, just, you know, simple, elegant, you know, the heart, emotion, and all those kind of words, it just kind of reminded me what I was doing this for. And, you know, because, I, like I said, I wanted the album, most of my solo piano albums, I want them to feel like I'm in your living room playing to you only. Well, and I appreciate you playing in our ears right now. I was, I, when I yeah, saw I the piano back that, there, but... <laughs> we, we can, it, it'll be fine. And I was gonna, I was, when I saw that, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to try and get him to do something here, but you just went ahead <laughs> with it. So I appreciate that. Um, okay. There's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on and I wanted to go back a little bit because I do think that it's amazing that you're obviously an incredible writer of melody and song in your own vision but you've also done you've you've lived in the pop music world for right. a long time as well which has probably been a catalyst to give you the opportunity to be able to do some of this other stuff that maybe you're a little bit more passionate about i'm not 100 percent sure but i wanted to go back now to um to one of the uh, what i think is probably your first big hit and it's a new day has come which you recorded for celine dion it is waiting for so long for a miracle to come everyone told me to be strong oh, oh, and don't shed a tear through the darkness and good. and i read that you had written the melody for that a year before it was released wow, and the, the final song that I hear that we hear is much, obviously much more produced than just a piano and a, like a piano melody of any sort. And so I just kind of wanted to have you take me and the listeners through the steps of how it goes from this melody in your head as you're sitting down writing at the piano to something that's now got lyrics behind it and that final recording might not even have a piano in it. I heard some synthesizer. I definitely heard like somebody plucking an acoustic guitar, but I'm like, how does it get from there to there? And part of that question is, do you sing it all? Do you, do you put any words to uh, your I, melodies? It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a, I guess I have a, a decent voice. It's just, that I work with some of the greatest singers in yeah. the world. <laughs> 
And, but, but I'm a heartfelt singer and, you know, I certainly can sing, I sing in tune and on a new day, um, that was my first big international hit that really put me kind of in the, on the, you know, international map as a, yeah. as a writer and eventually a producer. Um, and the, 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 the original piano riff, uh, it's, So it was it was a piano melody that I kind of had hanging around for the longest time, and you know when I brought that to Montreal to my you know my my collaborator Aldo Nova, um, he sort of knew where to go with it lyrically, and you know he's pretty good friends with Celine and, and knows her personally, and, and now I have over the last twenty plus five plus years, but um, but I don't know if you noticed that song was written as a waltz in six eight, so um, oh. one two three one two. So, and then the radio version had compressed it and made it four four. Da 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 da. Oh really? Da 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 da. And and um, and you know, so it took. You know, you're not going to complain. Back then, you're still selling records, and everyone's like, just you know, why are you complain? Well, so the beauty of that is we ended up having two versions of that song on the album, and ended up becoming the title of her her album. Um, it was 50 50 it's a, that you know it's, it's really tough to be 50 50 on a pop record these days there's a you know 10,000 writers these days you know there's like literally 14 16 writers at times and everyone's like dividing there's little splits and but it was it was an anomaly it was like you know i had two songs on a celine dion album when she was still selling north of 20 million albums a pop wow and um you know you and then so as far as, far as singing is concerned so that part that goes, hush now, da, 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 da. yeah, that 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 ended up being me with Celine going, huh, huh, huh. so oh. I was singing backgrounds with her, which was, you know, it was it was just you know it was it was an incredible experience. And then my one of my mentors, Walter Afanasi at the time, I mean, big big pop producer, yeah, great piano player himself. Um, he ended up uh, calling me and saying, you know, because he got kind of commissioned to 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 produce the final version but i had produced the demo and he ended up using most of my parts and we just put a you know a 65 piece string orchestra on it celine's voice kept most of my piano and keyboards he added a few other things and the rest is history and yeah. it became one of the biggest number one songs of that year in 2002 yeah i mean it's it just incredible so <clears throat> did was that a learning experience for you in having to like give up your baby for the pop music adoption agency or something like that no yeah i mean i you know, I, I love pop music. I'm a classical musician first. I'll always say that. But the thing is, I, you know, I grew up in, you know, south of Toronto uh, near, near the American border. I'm a Canadian, uh -huh. but I, I grew up listening to American radio, which was very exciting radio in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And um, so as I was training at the conservatory in Toronto, it's like a Swiss army knife. It was, it was double edged. And I was, I had the classical training and then was also starting to muck around in the studio and learn how to program using logic which was notator at the time i was you know 11 years old using an atari computer which became the commodore 64 which became you know and ultimately i went to apple and so i just had a beautiful upbringing really did my brother and i both pianists and it was just full of full of a lot of that stuff but eventually that training 
because a lot of the problem I find with a lot of just people who are songwriters and who can't produce, it's frustrating for them sometimes because they hear something in their head and they don't know how to get it out or execute yeah. it. And it requires a tremendous amount of patience um, of skill as well. And luckily I, that just kind of happened as I was growing up, you know, yeah. and, and my parents just kind of nourished it. Stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport and use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel... Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So... If you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high quality sound, check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. Are you trained in theory? Like, can you, can you, like, we were talking before about intention. So, if you're trained in theory, you can set the mood for the song ahead of time by being talking about the key, having it be in a minor or diminished and doing things like that, that will not necessarily resonate. A lot of times a listener can't connect the dots unless they have, I have a very minor understanding of it, but um, I can tell if a song's in a minor key because it's kind of making me feel a little bit more like, Of course. Like that's just the feeling it gives you. And and I'm wondering if you write a song. The reason I ask that is because I'm wondering if the next like big one that, and there's, there's a bunch in between here, but I just want to jump to wrecking ball because I think this is like (laughs) one of the biggest ones that your name's attached to that I could find. I just walked away. I will always want you. just wondering if when you write this and i'll say again there's a beautiful piano only version on your spotify that i Thank hope you. everyone goes and listens to because it's such an amazing way to hear this song that have miley's unbelievably powerful vocals behind 
So when you're writing something like this, assuming that you kind of had that melody originally, can you hear it go into that extent, go into that voice? Do you hear Miley's voice behind it? I can hear a lot being a producer. Uh, I, I mean, uh, we can talk about Wrecking Ball specifically. I had co-written that with uh, Mozella, Maureen McDonald. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's from Detroit, eventually living in LA. And then Sasha Scarbeck was an English uh, gentleman. And uh, we came together one fateful day back in 2012. And, uh, and we didn't know each other. And we just, you know, Mozilla was going through, oh, she was, I think she had kind of canceled her wedding at the time and that week. And she was really frail emotionally. And, and she, it was very beyond generous of her to share her, share and her vulnerable state with us. Uh, and we were just kind of there to capture this incredible song. This is pre Miley. We were, we were brought together. I think our publisher says, try to write a song for Beyonce at the time. Okay. And, you know, it's very rare it's not that it doesn't happen, uh, but, you know, here I am still to my level now, but, you know, you write a song, you pitch it to an artist like that. And, you know, the song, but the only way it's going to get cut, especially by Beyonce or Miley or Celine or anybody of that nature, the song has to be unbelievable, you know, yeah. to catch your attention. Otherwise, typically the artist wants to co-write and be involved in that collaborative process as well and writing the song. But you know, when we finished writing Wrecking Ball that day, uh, we didn't, feel it was necessarily a Beyonce song. And then Mozella uh, was the one who actually casually said, I think I'm going to be seeing Miley uh, in a few weeks. Do you guys mind if I play this song for Miley? Hmm. And um, we had an incredible demo of the song. I mean, like you said, you just take the, just the simple melody. It's... translated so beautifully and so honestly with Mozella singing it and um I don't mean to make this a master class at Songwriting I'm just I would this is what this is what we're here for okay <laughs> so <clears throat> but <clears throat> Miley there's I knew that Wrecking Ball was a great thing my collaborators I love those two people uh, deeply you know Mozella and Sasha we were all roughly the same age um Mozella being a bit, bit younger but all established in our careers respectfully and, and we just felt like nobody, we were just trying to write the best song possible that day. And we did. And, uh, and then when Miley heard it, she was going through her breakup and she was going through a transition um, and it fell into hands, the hands of Dr. Luke. And um, the rest is history. I mean, the video combined with her, you know, wanting to break her image as Hannah Montana star and, and, pop sensation when you're a part of something like that at what point does it leave i guess if you jump on as a producer you're kind of there till the end but i'm curious like at what point it leaves your hands and no longer becomes something that you're in control of the final product do you try to maintain that control to a certain extent i i want to be careful how i say this um because people will use it they they use it against me uh I, I am a control freak only when it comes to my art. <laughs> and, and I think you have to be. Um, I've, it's very rare. Miley's was an exception, but they, the entire record was driven off my piano performance. So I, Sasha and I and Mozilla had decided already on the key and tempo. And it, luckily it worked for Miley. You know, it was in D minor. It's a beautiful key. Yeah. Um, it rings and it was, I remember specifically 
laboring for an hour in, in the, uh, the studio before we cut the demo and just saying, is it could be 60 BPMs or 62 or 60? I'm so happy with the tempo choice. It ended up sticking as well. So my piano had driven the entire record. But then Luke and Circuit, his, uh, his, his co-producer, really took it to a whole other level uh, pop rock sensation. It was just a big, big chorus. And we knew it was a big chorus. Um, so I was happy to answer your question with the way that album, that record sounded, but not a lot of times if I hand my, my project over to another producer, nine times out of 10, I, I'm disappointed. So the only way that I, I could be happy is I just decided I have to start producing my own records as well. Mm -hmm. And I did. And, and, and then um, that's when my, the, my biggest shift as a producer came when I started producing the weekend okay. and, and, um, and working with him and, eventually other people as a producer and collaborator. But I, you look at the great artists, uh, well, start with the Beatles. I mean, Jesus, they had uh, George Martin, who's you know, a legendary producer yeah. um, and certainly had a sound and, and a, a classical element that brought so much to their sound and their, their music. But Prince, uh, for example, a very, he you know, confirms his you know, loves to control every element of the creative process. You should, you should want to, especially if it's communicating something personal. So this is kind of why I came back to piano music. It's simple. It's elegant. It's one guy, an instrument, but in a lot of ways, there's no click. I'm not, you know, when I come, I'm recording piano music. I'm not doing it to click. There's no safety there. Yeah. I'm having a, just a conversation with myself from my heart to my brain, through my fingers onto that piano and on a wood instrument. And there's something really organic and something really real about that. Cause that's where I started when I was three at the piano. But um, it's not to say, you know, I'll go back and do some more pop records, but right now I'm happy right in this lane. Have you ever had a, um, an artist, like someone who's a uh, draws or paints or something like that kind of stand next to you as you're performing some of your songs and just kind of see what comes at the outside, out of that pen or something as you're That's going? That's a crazy, great question. I've had so many people, I have once, but, but I've had many people want to do that because you were talking about keys and you know the fact that I'm classically trained, but I, I have synesthesia, which is, those who don't know what that is, it's just, I see color through sound. Yeah. So, you know, if I, if I play, for me, you know, C major is yellow. Um, D is green, you know, F is gray and G's brown, et cetera, et cetera. Is this beyond um, perfect pitch? Uh, I, I, it's, it's, you know, it's, I, I have, I have strong relative pitch. So sometimes like, just go, like I know where my A440 is. It, it's, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's beyond or, or under it. It's just a whole other level of, um, I, I, I just, I, I use it as a guiding light for colors, you know, cause colors yeah. are a big thing for me. And, in my piano albums, you'll often see <clears throat> one track or composition named after a color. On this, on, on this last one, Lionheart, Myrtle is one of them. You know, yeah. and the one before was Burgundy, and the one before was Blue. So it's and the other red. Uh, so and on and on. It's it's. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I, I it's it's keys and tempo are for me the foundation of a, of a great pop song or the foundation of you know a great piece of solo contemporary piano music. You know. You have to think of it this way, Corey. It's like, first of all, it, you have to find a key that works for the artist that's going yep. to allow them to sound their best. Because sometimes, you know, producers who don't know how to, I can play in any key. I can play Wrecking Ball right now for you in all 12 different tones on the spot. Transpose just that easily. Just like that. Got yeah. it. 
And, and I'm not telling you that to, 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 to be arrogant. I'm telling you that because that's just my forte in the studio. If I'm sitting down with Celine Dion, for example, I will often go through the entire cycle of keys to find out where this song is going to sound best in her range. And you just want to push that artist enough when you're making records. And that's why a lot of times you'll hear the artist bring down that particular song in concert a half step because they have to sing it every night. And a great producer for, to, who made a, a great record will often have, have pushed it just enough to give it that extra little energy. Yeah. So, you know, say for example, E flat's just a little bit too high. You stay there for the record, hopefully. And then the, you know, the artist will perform that song at night after night in D major, just to give their voice a, a break. Okay. You know, that's the kind of interesting thing, because I do know that they tend to change things up on tour when they're going, you know, like four nights a week or something like that for that type of reason. Yeah. I mean, Celine's got, you know, moment after moment of moment of like high notes of just, you know, just razzle dazzle people. You just can't, she's inhumane, that woman, she in the best way. She's amazing. But even Celine Dion, you know, she needs to just be careful with that incredible instrument of hers and just sort of give it a rest every night. So sometimes changing the key is a good thing. Yeah. So once an album like Lionheart is done and you've got those songs out there for people to listen to and it's becoming whatever it's going to become, do, do you have any aspirations to be alone on a stage with a piano to play yes. these songs for a crowd live and see kind of what that reaction and what that room might feel like? I used to perform live all the time. Like, you know, before I moved to the U S um, as a pianist and I love it. You know, it's, uh, I'm trained as a, as a live performer and a composer. And, um, and like I said, it's just typically myself and a piano. Every once in a while I do a concert with the orchestra. It's mm-hmm. like that. That's a whole other beast. But um, I, I love the intimacy of it. And COVID unfortunately has affected all of us. Um, indefinitely but you know things are opening up people are performing again thank thank god and um i can't wait to get touring next year 2022 i'm excited to make sure yeah. denver's a stop can we get you I, at red rocks you know i've uh i performed <laughs> at uh in utah at the sundance and outside as well and i would love to do something at red rocks are you kidding me it's uh let me know <laughs> oh i know exactly <laughs> all right i'll make some calls i got no poll but i'll make some calls <laughs> um i've got one more question for you and i'm wondering if you have a personal favorite off of this album and what it is and why jeez i don't have a personal favorite but i have a couple moments um you know, I, I this song called Halston, you know, I named it after the, the famous designer and um, it has a, a it's solemn, it's, you know, kind of represents his life. There's the man who's hugely talented, lived a fast life, uh, sold his name to JCPenney and basically lost all control of his brand and art. And you know, there was tragedy to there. So you have this sort of, I'm just, I won't play long here, but there's this. Um, very reflective piece. Um, and that was one of the first pieces I wrote for this album. And, but a piece that is very special is, is the last piece called Fireflies. And, and there's something really hopeful to that. And I decided that I, I wanted to end the album like that, just reminding the people that there's way more hope than there's things that are solemn and, and dark, or at least I want people to feel that way. Um, so, so it's this kind of piece of music. It's... sounds like a song 
like a pop song. It sounds like a Coldplay piece of music, like yeah. something you two would do. And it's just over the four progressions and it's simple, but it came, it just came by accident. And I was recording it and it was just in the feel of my performance, the tempo was one take. And I loved just the color of, of that. And so it's not my favorite piece, but it's a special piece. Do you, and I'm just trying to think of this. So when you say like, this is just, you said it's a four chord song. Yes. Which is obviously like for someone who's classically trained, like that's, that's about as pop as you can get. Yes. I mean, you know, some songs, I mean, like the song I wrote for the weekend, we did that basically the majority of the song was in two chords, you know, it was yeah. just like chord one, chord two. I mean, so, so, and then back to chord one. Yeah. Um, Fireflies is four chords, which is still very, very pop, but I don't leave those four chords, which is, you know, unique because, you know, a song like Halston is quite complex. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more chords, but it still sounds simple, but it's, you know, it's very classical harmony. Um, there's some very complex harmony on this, which I still try to keep it sounding simple, but um, I just thought Fireflies summed up my classical and my pop world in a, in a way that could bring people together. And it's just kind of one of those pe pieces of music that's more of a feeling than it yeah. is an actual composition. What about it? I know what about it. It's kind of like this from the little bit that you just played right there. It's right. got this steady kind of pulsating Tempo. thing. Yeah, and exactly. I, I don't know what the musical term is with how Ostinato. you're. Ostinato. <laughs> there we go. And, but what else about it is it that gives it the hopeful feel in terms of like going kind of getting into some theory a little bit just that we can give people a little bit of a glimpse into how your brain might be like i want to make this sound hopeful well i mean we could just break down the pop progression do you hear me when i play the piano yeah okay so so i mean just those four chords you know b flat minor so the first chord is darkish but yeah it's, so it's b flat and then you go to the relative major D flat. Beautiful, it's hopeful. And then the four chord. And then the two chord. And the power of those four chords in that succession, and it's been used in a plethora of songs over the last, whatever, 10,000 years. Yeah. Um, it's the way I voice it on the piano, I have, you know, I really spend time just kind of clustering my notes as well. And just, you making sure that, you know, those notes, they kind of like, there's like common tones that, you know, that stay in each note. So you, the D flat, which we're in D flat major is the one tone that stays through in all those chords. And there's something that just feels it connects the tissue of those four chords all the time. And, and, and I, that's why I, people love it. You know, Coldplay, like I said, are, are great at doing this with long notes on guitar. Same with U2 and Danny Lano as a producer. Um, and um, and you can write a plethora of different melodies over the top of those chords if you just break them down. And I, I think that's the key to great art. Yeah. Keeping things intentional, but open enough to interpretation to everybody. It's beautiful when everybody has their own interpretation. Yes, I have mine. 
And sometimes I have very strong intentions as to where the melody of song comes from. Sometimes I don't know where the hell it comes from. It just comes from my fingers. I just, it just, I just landed on the piano and I go, Oh, that sounds amazing. It was a nice surprise. And fireflies was a bit of that. It was just me improvising and I cut it up. What people don't realize is there was a whole part before it. So I was kind of playing in this key, maybe on top of those four chords. And I was probably, you know, everything was rolling and I started going like this. And that, and that ended up being the final performance. And I just kept on going. And that's the circle, the circle continues. I, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that is just so amazing about for me. And I, I, I didn't start playing any instruments until I was 20. And the oh, guitar wow. you see over my shoulder is the oh. first thing that I ever bought and started learning that. And then um, I found out I was a little bit more percussive. I, I switched right. over to drums and that's probably the instrument that came most naturally to me. Right. Uh, but it's harder when you live in an apartment to, to maintain that one. Um, but now I've got a keyboard, which is out of the view of you, but I've been working on that for a couple of years now. But what I find amazing about the piano for someone who knows music, but not to, to a limited extent, is that what you kind of said there, there's within those four chords that you were playing, there's notes that you stay on and that kind of connects it and keeps this singular feeling within this space that you're that you're creating and I felt like the piano was like almost like opening up the book of music so that I was like oh that's why if I play a b minor and a d that's there's not really that big of a difference like on a guitar that change is a big change on a piano it's, a change, exactly. it's like dude dude and you're like huh and it just started connecting these dots for me. So the reason I'm saying that is because if there's anybody listening that has just listened to um, Stefan, just kind of dive into this and you're interested in learning an instrument, pick whatever you want. But if you're really curious about the theory behind the musical language, I think piano is a great spot to go with it. It's a great spot. I mean, you know, like, you know, I'm partial to piano. Clearly it's, it's been with me my entire life. <laughs> it's, it's uh the one thing about the piano and people often say that a lot of the great, cause I work with orchestras and I conduct and arrange as well, but you have all the range of the instruments laid out on your keys. Mm -hmm. So you actually see where the cellos are, where the violas are, or the violins, the bass, you know, and the woodwinds. And, and that's why a lot of the great arrangers just happen to be piano players, just because it's, everything's available to you and, and you can, you start to understand the, the, the balance and how you can curate things and, the key to any, any great art conversation relationship is it's just enough of everything, not too much, not too little. It's balance. You're talking to a Libra. You're talking my language. Uh, are you a Libra? <laughs> yeah. So am I. Yeah. We must have a birthday right around here. Uh, wait, wait, so you, I'm October 20. 18. Jeez, oh, <laughs> oh, we'll have to like uh, celebrate. This the again. 19th, I'm going to Red Rocks to see the uh, remaining members of the Grateful Dead. So that's oh going to be some God. fun. You're going to have a blast. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great 
experience. Stephen, Stefan, sorry about that. No, it's okay. It's Stephen, okay. No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I'll get it. I promise I'll get it right on the introduction, but I really appreciate it. I'm, I learned a lot. I'm, I've become a huge fan. You're going to be a part of it. I think your music's so good for focus. Um, for if somebody's just trying to relax, I've seen some of the other comments in there that are talking about what you were saying, like getting people through some hard times in life. What a gift you have and that you're continuing to give to us and just thank you for your time. And, um, I, I really appreciate you. Thank you for what you do, Corey. It's, it's great. Just keep, keep that up. There's so many people who need to, to hear these kind of conversations. Thank you so much to Stefan for coming on the show and talking about all his amazing work throughout the years. Such an incredible artist. And I really learned a lot and hope that you did too. Be sure to check out his album Lionheart in a couple days, October 15th. And as always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Thank you and have a lovely, lovely day.